Greetings and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Brent Adams, joined by a man who always keeps a wingsuit and a rocket launcher ready for justice, Mr. Lauren Baumgarten. Lauren! So if you tell everybody about my secret identity, it's no longer going to be secret. Uh, it wasn't much of a secret to begin with because uh, there's only one crazy Jewish guy running around with a wingsuit and a rocket launcher, <laughs> and it's my best bud, Elbaum. Uh, that's a true story. Man, I am excited uh, about the reference there very, very much. Me too. <laughs> It is. Uh, we got some. We actually got some really cool stuff to talk about this week, Brent. I say that like usually we don't have cool stuff to talk about. We're bringing we're bringing back uh, an oldie but goodie into uh, the show format at That's least right. for now, and people will understand that in a little bit. But That's right. uh, it's an exciting week, Brent. It's an exciting week. But before we jump into it, you had a couple of things you wanted to mention. Happy, if I may, May Fourth to you. If you may. Fourth to me, you certainly may, sir. Happy May 4th, everybody. Happy Star Wars Day. Uh, I know that you're listening to this uh, probably on the 5th, but that's okay because we're recording it on one of the most important days of the year, uh, which is the unofficial uh, Star Wars holiday, and we just want to wish a very happy May the 4th to Star Wars fans everywhere. Uh, and I suspect that we're going to have a lot more Star Wars fans uh, somewhere around the 18th of December. Yeah, that's a true story. Although, I don't know how much that. longer, Brent, that this will be the unofficial uh, uh, Star Wars holiday. Because I believe, uh, I can't remember exactly what the organization is called, but it's, it's, it's the United People with Lisps of America mm. find... Uh, may the fourth be with you holiday a little bit insulting <laughs> that damn politically correct crowd always crashing our fun <laughs> uh that's right yes no it's it is star wars day and uh you're right soon we'll, we'll be up to our ears our earballs in star wars we should go ahead and start uh we should go ahead and start petitioning our our senators and congressmen to get it made an official u.s holiday um maybe if they concentrate on that you know it'll keep them from doing so much damage other places uh, speaking of damage, uh, and not the snarky, uh, the, not the snarky kind, uh, I mentioned last week, uh, of course, the, uh, the, the catastrophic earthquake that, uh, that rocked through Nepal and has, uh, killed, I think, over 6,000 people. Uh, the video game industry is getting involved, as you probably uh, can imagine, the Far Cry dev team, who, of course, spent so much time in Nepal, uh, soaking up, uh, the, the culture and the, the details for uh for Far Cry 4 they have gotten involved they've uh pledged to contribute up to $100,000 in matching funds through the Canadian Red Cross uh Bungie the de- the developers behind Eve Online and probably others uh, are also uh, getting in and I wanted to mention at the top of the show there's going to be a link there where you can read a little bit more about this and um we just want to mention it because uh Man, uh, those people uh, could definitely use the help, and uh, it's great to see uh, the video game industry uh, stepping up, uh, stepping up to respond to that uh, to that situation. So we just want to mention that to everybody, and uh, we we are hoping for the best there. That's right, we are indeed, Brent. And so moving from uh, helping people out in a time of destruction to actually destroying stuff. <laughs> to just causing a time of destruction. Oh my God, to really? just causing a time of destruction. <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. I didn't Why? Even Why mean would to do you that. do that? Jesus. Oh God, it's like, it's, uh, I feel itchy and it hurts, doesn't need it? a shower. God. It hurts when Daniel's inside of you, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't ever say that to me. <laughs> All right, uh, move on to the story. Move on to the story. <laughs> yeah, Brad. So first up in the garage this week, we have the Just, Cha- Just Cause 3 gameplay review. Game- <laughs> Let me try that again. So first up in the garage this week, Brent, we have ju- the Just Cause 3 gameplay reveal trailer. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that we found out about the existence of Just Cause 3, though yes. I guess it doesn't come as a complete surprise, but the pleasant surprise is that, at least for now, it's slated to come out of holiday this season, 2015. Uh, and this was our first gameplay trailer, and Brent, I gotta say uh, that uh, I watched the trailer... So I watched the trailer, and I thought to myself, here's another, we were just talking about this, here's another, quote, gameplay trailer that isn't actually gameplay, it's just shot in engine, 
and they're sort of trying to show you what the gameplay will be like and calling that the gameplay trailer. Right. Uh, but I don't know if you notice, Brent, and this is really odd in my opinion, okay. but if you click the show more under the YouTube link, it, it expands the text that's yeah. uh, listed there under the YouTube link. And under that expanded text, it says explicitly, this is actual gameplay footage. It was shot using cinematic angles, but there's no cinematics in this game. This is actual game or in this trailer. This is actual gameplay footage. And I got to tell you, man, that makes me very, very happy. Um, I'm pretty happy about it, too. Although, I, I mean, I, they don't specify what platform it's on, but it's almost certainly on the no, PC. But of course. Uh, I mean, not that the PS4 and Xbox One versions aren't going to look great. The parity between current gen and PC right now is is uh, not that far. The, the disparity is not that far apart. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, but anyway, the thing that I was going to the thing that I was going to say is I'm not really sure. Uh, given the fact that they're not, given the fact that it is camera angles and so forth, you know, from within the engine, is this really all that different from an in-engine trailer? I mean. I just don't. I don't know if there if there's that much of a distinction, and I felt like. Oh, I think so. Absolutely, in the in-engine trailer, uh, you are uh, you potentially can do things that you can't do during the game during game during play. actual gameplay. Okay, so yeah. anyway, but the only thing about that that seems hinky to me is if it is actual gameplay. If there is nothing, if if they release you know some sort of utility that allows you to have some, you know, and that could be part of the game to begin with. But if anyway, if the game allows you to move the camera around to capture a la a GTA five director's mode sort of thing. And it's going to look exactly like what we see in this trailer. Why wouldn't you say that in the trailer? Why would you make people work for that information? I don't get that part. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, that aside, the game looks fantastic. And, and, and you know, because I started watching this trailer while we were on, on the horn and the moment that I see dude <laughs> falling through the sky wearing a wingsuit with an RPG strapped to his back. I thought, and you've got my money. Yeah, you know, I, we talk a lot well Brent, about you have about, my money. about not pre-ordering and you know that sort of I'm thing. Not I have to say, I'm just telling no, you. I but but I gotta game. say that I looked at this game and I thought to myself, this looks like a next gen. Even even if it's just a next gen version of Just Cause Two, yeah, like that's a bad thing. I'm pretty much on board. Like I really like they would have to actually go backwards from their last game, which was several years ago. To, to make me not feel like their game is worth $60. No, I mean, it's, um, it's a Just Cause game on next-gen platforms. What else, I mean, what else do you need to know, I guess? Yeah, it looks fantastic. I can't, I'm, ass, I'm assuming we're going to get to see more of this at E3. Uh, yeah, I would have meant to uh, And I couldn't be more excited. It, it looked fantastic. It looked gorgeous. It, I mean, to me, that's what it looked like. It looked like Just Cause 2, uh, only visually uh, much better next-gen. And so now they have to, I, I think the task is for them to show us what what is different or what has progressed since Just Cause 2 besides the vision. Yep, uh, I, I'm anxious to uh, I'm anxious to get more details, and I suspect that we will uh, at E3 or uh, or some or some other time not too distant in the future. Are we going to be at E3 this year? Uh, I, I physically no. I mean, I, I won't. I uh, won't be there. I'll be uh, uh, I'll be changing diapers or something like that. Again, um, with the Daniel talk, let's just move on from Daniel. Uh, something else not too distant in the future. No, the very near future, as a matter of fact, this End Friday, of the week, as it, uh, as it turns out, is... Which I honestly had no idea this was coming that soon. The, uh, the release of Project Cars. We have the launch trailer here in the dock, but um, well, there's a lot of details and uh, other media floating around at this point. Uh, the game Four Racers by Racers, or maybe it's by Racers for Racers. But anyway, the point is that uh, Project Cars sounds like a game that Brent Adams could get into because Brent Adams has espoused in the past his love for racing and for racing-centric games as opposed to car-centric games or just driving-centric games. I feel like there's a however here because Brent Adams is talking about Brent Adams in the third person. There is no however. Uh, other than to say, however, Brent Adams is not sure if he's going to get this game immediately upon launch because Brent Adams is really, really wanting to get GTA Five on the PC. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, I have to tell you that from, you know, from everything I know about project cars and, and I get, I get a, a fair amount of messages on this from people who suspect this game will be up my alley and they're right. Uh, I am pretty excited. I, I really like everything that the game purports to be. I really like everything that the game is aspiring to be. 
Uh, and the question for me is all whether or not it succeeds uh, on those fronts and, and at a level of quality that, uh, that people are going to really find compelling. So for me, basically, this is just a game that I've got on my watch list that I'm waiting to see uh, what players uh, and reviewers think about it uh, once it hits this Friday. Yeah, I'm really curious too, Brent. I've got a strange relationship with racing games, and and I've had a couple that I've really enjoyed. Mm. Um, I, you know, I'm not like I'm not. I have no interest in sim racing at all. Right. But I, I uh, racing games can be like the um, the mo- among, if not the most beautiful, graphically beautiful video games made, and yeah, uh, they true. are a lot of fun. But I have to find like I have to find the right balance for me. I played the crap out of uh, Fallout, not Fallout, Flat Out. Flat Out. Um, uh, played the crap out of that game, loved it. Um, really enjoyed uh, Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather enjoyed, um, I, bought, I played Need for Speed Rivals, and I rather enjoyed um, uh, Drive Club as well. But for me, it's a combination of two things. It, it's it's uh, um, the racing games, I feel like, tend to get in their own way frequently with what goes on between races. Mm. And so I think uh, that's a real issue that I've, I've seen a lot in racing games. Um, and then, you know, for me, there, there's a, that, that balance when you, of any video game where you make the game the proper difficulty and you want it to be hard enough to be challenging to somebody, but not so hard to keep that sort of carrot out in front of them, but not so hard that it's frustrating. And for me with racing games, that's, that's um, an extremely... Uh, um, prevalent issue. Right. And so uh, I'm really interested in this. I guess it says 100 unique locations, multiple disciplines, dynamic weather, fully customizable UI, that sort of thing. And so I, I would be totally on board with this. Uh, my one concern, and I have to wait to see reviews, is how well does the game scale to uh, somebody who doesn't like sim racing? Right. Um, right. Is there going to be an entry point for people that are more interested in just a, a pick-up-and-play uh, arcade-like experience, something that leans more that direction? Yep. I, I mean, it's a good question. It's, I'm curious. It's it looks for, gorgeous. It does. It looks fantastic. It's hard for any game to be all things to all people, and certainly uh, racing games are no different, particularly when you got meatheads like me in the world. But um, Right, who want hyper-accurate. Well, it, you know, it's not... Because, I mean, you know, hyper-accuracy is... I'm under no I'm under no delusions. I mean, I, I've I've driven cars very very fast on roads that weren't designed for very very fast cars. I know sort of where my talent wall is in the real world, you know. And so it's not it's not that it's got to be like realistic, you know, where, where I actually need the reaction time of an F1 driver because I don't have it. But uh, but I, I, the thing that I like focusing on is if you apply the fundamental strategies and techniques of racing driving, uh, that those are the things that, you know, that, that, that advance you through the game that, you know, they don't sort of like invent new new physics that allow you to win by, you know, power sliding through turns and so forth. Uh, so I'm, just, I'm looking for a game that can trick me into thinking that I actually am decent at racing. But, well, and that's that's actually the central piece of that. I mean, we we had this discussion all the time when I was community manager for the golf club. Yeah. It's not about making making it follow all the exact sort of pattern that golf does because if that were the case, you would spend years frustrating frustrating years yeah. getting even moderately decent at the video game. And that's not what we're trying to recreate. What we're trying to recreate is the emotional experience, the generalized emotional experience of the game mm-hmm. uh with with you know, as as accurate as possible, maybe ninety percent an accurate representation of the mechanics of the game, right. except for the stuff that um, sort of suffers by nature of being a video game. Yeah, it, it's 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 a tightrope walk, and I, I guess the thing that I want is I want something that has like the fundamental or something that has the focus on racing technique and fundamentals that that uh, the Gran Turismo series has always had combined with some of the more innovative aspects of of like Forza 4, uh, which was the last one that I played. But uh, I really liked a lot of the things that Forza was doing in terms of its, uh, in terms of its online component, in terms of its, uh, its head-to-head stuff, playing against friends, ghost cars, uh, you know, where you and your friends are competing on the same tracks. There's a lot of really great innovative features that were going into that. And I would love to see some of, because those things were very, very fun. Like that's sort of the fun juice 
uh, in, in, the fun juice. Did it really? In, did you in that, that game for me, as as opposed to as opposed to it being like a more sort of fun arcadey, uh, you know, casual style game. Those were the things that got the fun for me. And so I would love to see a game that you was able to kind of, uh, you know, just work both of those sides of the equation. Yeah, yeah. And so I, uh, I'm hopeful that it's it, it's it's good for you in that way because me too. Uh, I know how passionate you are about that, and I and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if maybe that that a more casual player like myself will be able to play it because it looks really fun. We should find out pretty soon. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and move on uh, to the next item in the garage, uh, and that is. There is going to be a PC gaming press conference at E3 2015. It's uh, actually, this is something that uh, we might talk more about as we get closer to E3, which is, you know, knocking on the door Soon. a month away yeah. or so. Yep. And um, there's going to be several companies that are going to be having press conferences this year uh, for the first time. But uh, there's no there's no one company behind this uh, this PC gaming focused press conference. It's uh, going to be uh, it's it's going to have speakers like Cliff Blazinski, Dean Hall. Uh, there's going to be developers there: Blizzard, Square Enix, Devolver Digital, Bohemia Interactive, and um, so it, it really is going to be spearheaded by a, a number of uh, of personalities and companies that are invested in uh, in PC gaming. This is from uh, this is a quote from uh, the story that we are linking to. On Polygon, quote, PC gaming is in a golden age with more powerful and affordable hardware than ever before. Thousands of games available through Steam, Origin, and other platforms. And uh, this must come from an EA person then. And millions of viewers regularly watching esports online. Uh, this is from the announcement. Now from uh, now for the first time, the PC platform will have its own event during E3 where the community will be able to celebrate this era with some of the biggest names in PC gaming and see the innovations that lie ahead. So if you are a PC gamer, and God knows I am, uh, you, can, uh, you can definitely mark your calendar down for that one. They're going uh, to be Twitch streaming it, and uh, this event is going to uh, occur from 5 to 8 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, June 16th, uh, and you can check that out once again on Twitch. So, Lauren, you're a PC gamer. Yes. Is that cool or what? Uh, no, it is very, very cool. I could not be more excited that this is happening. Uh, I'll talk about at the end of the show, I just uh, did something this week that I have never done before, which is I hooked up my PC to my TV. Um, oh, really? And I could not be more excited about PC gaming now. And so coming out in November, we have the Steam Link, uh, we also have the advent I'm of, excited about uh, that. Uh, this isn't necessarily a new thing, but they're getting more and more affordable AC routers, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. AC wireless routers, yeah. which you can pick up a good one for around 150 bucks. Now yeah. throw in the steam link for 50 bucks, uh, with which I found out you can use, uh, I have a wired Xbox 360 controller that I have used with my PC historically right. that will work with the steam link. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to get it. So the Steam Link is 50 bucks, And uh, I think that's even going to bring more of a renaissance to PC gaming. I'm very excited um, uh, about, um, uh, about being able to play my PC games on my uh, television, on my 50-inch television. And uh, I could not be more excited about this at E3, man. I mean, I think it's, it's awesome. I, it, I agree. PC gaming deserves it. You're, you've been brought into the fold. Uh, In a big, and, bad way. Uh, and many, many more people. I think might be brought into the fold moving forward. I hope so because I mean there's definitely there's definitely great stuff in PC gaming and it is a very um it's a distinct experience from console gaming. I, I mean there are certain games that you, you know like like a major third party release like like a Batman Arkham Knight. I don't know that a Batman Arkham Knight is going to be substantially different on PC as opposed to on console. Oh, it looks different. Uh, I mean, better, you, you know, more graphic fidelity. But in terms of the actual game experience, if you played that on your TV using an Xbox 360 controller through Steam Link as opposed to playing it on your Xbox One or your PlayStation Oh, I 4, see what you're saying. Yes, correct. I don't know that it would be all that different in experience. But there Versus are... Versus like playing Battlefield multiplayer or something like correct, that. Correct. But, you know, there are experiences that are exclusive to the PC that are very profound, uh, you know, or things like Skyrim, you know, where you can play on the PC with... with uh, 
squillions and squillions of mods and really change the game experience fundamentally. So it's cool. Uh, it's it's one of those things that, and I, and I do think that the the entry point is getting lower and lower because there's some really really fantastic high performance graphics cards that uh, that will For not mid two hundred. Yeah, exactly. I mean that will not cost uh, you an arm and a leg. It's, they used to be not not many years ago. Those were five hundred bucks a piece. I know, and uh, and so that that's encouraging. So it's one of those things that I'm excited about, and I hope other people will be as well. Something that Lauren is uh, very excited about is uh, finally getting the opportunity to play with Batgirl. I mean, as Batgirl, what did you think I meant? Uh, <laughs> we've got the we've got the the Batman Arkham Knight season pass details, and there's actually quite a bit here. Uh, let's just run through the list. What do you say, Lauren? Yeah, this is this is interesting, Brent, because you know PC gamers were PC gamers. You know, gamers were a little upset because uh, Rocksteady and Warner Brothers announced this this season pass for Batman. It's forty bucks, yeah. two thirds of the cost of the main game. Yeah. They said the content's going to come out over six months, but they gave no details as to what was in the what was going to be. And I think they realized that was a mistake, so they put out more information. And I got to say, and I, man, we I, realized that was a mistake. I'm pretty pleased uh-huh. that the first three things they mentioned are all uh, story content. I agree. Um, and I, I think that's pretty exciting. So the, the first one, uh, Batgirl, A Matter of Family. Uh, now, we don't know if this is going to be in order, but uh, Batgirl, A Matter of Family. It says an all-new prequel story expansion in an entirely new location where you play as Batgirl for the very first time in the Arkham series. Uh, the next one they list is the Season of Infamy. Play as Batman in all-new story missions featuring legendary supervillains invading Gotham City with new story arcs, missions, and gameplay features. I uh, wonder what those gameplay features are. City, uh, Gotham City Stories play as Batman's key allies in narrative missions, extending their storylines from both before and after the events of, in Batman Arkham Knight. So those are the three story-driven ones. Yeah, look, then you have... Uh, yes, were you going to say something? You know what? I, I want to talk about those, but let's go ahead and finish detailing the DLC, yep. and then we'll come So back. then you have three other things. You have legendary Batmobiles with themed tracks. So drive the most iconic Batmobiles from Batman's 75-year history on custom-built racetracks, each themed to that Batmobile-specific era. Every Batmobile will be drivable across every track. Now, I don't know if this, personally, to me, if this is meaningful, because uh, I don't know yet if the Batmobile tracks are meaningful or not. Yeah. But uh, Crime Fighter Challenge Maps engage in a series of new challenge maps utilizing the unique play styles of Batman and his allies. Uh, and then character skins, a variety of skins from across the eras for Batman, Robin, Nightwing, and Catwoman. Uh, and so those are the things they detail, Brent. And I'm really, as I said, I'm really happy to hear the story content because historically there's been uh, a couple uh, of little story content DLCs and then the challenge maps. Yeah, and think, frankly, the challenge maps are meaningless to me. Uh, the challenge maps are, are, are fun. I, I, I enjoy, you know, going back. I, I particularly like the, uh, the Predator challenge maps, the, the ones that are very yeah, stealth centric yeah. because I, yep. I like stealth gameplay. So those are, those are enjoyable, but I would much rather have... Uh, what they are what they are proposing here this this harkens back to uh like the harley's revenge dlc for arkham city and uh but more of it and i'm all about that i think that uh the thing that i was thinking about is like honestly because i i'm just such a sucker for this i guess they could do something like like telltale and they could just start releasing like seasons of just Batman stories to take place within the Arkham Knight game engine, you know, five stories over the course of six months or whatever. And I'll, I'll buy that season pass too. And they can do another season of them and I'll buy that too. But I mean, honestly, they could just do stuff like this. They could just do like this kind of like Gotham city stories or the season of infamy kind of thing where they're just using the assets that they've got in the game and just creating new content, new stories to, uh, to go along with it, they can do that till the end of time, and, and and I'm pretty much on board. Unless there's something fundamentally broken about the game, a la Arkham Origins, that they say they're not going to fix, a la Arkham Origins. But that aside, I, I love I love what they're laying out here for the season pass. I am very very tempted uh, to go ahead and get this because you know we found uh, it was it on Green Man or was it on Steam that it was like 30, no it was on Steam it was like it's twenty five percent off until the game launches June twenty third yeah the season pass is twenty five percent off so it's thirty that, bucks that's that's sorely tempting that's sorely tempting because this sounds so so good but uh, anyway I, I'm I'm pretty excited about that I mean in addition to the game which I do want to play I have to say that the, the the DLC for it actually sounds worthwhile. 
It does sound worthwhile. And I, to be fair, it's, it's a little easier for us. We had one of our listeners uh, who has chosen to remain nameless gift us each a copy of Batman Arkham Knight, which we received this last week. So thank you. What, what, what uh, do we say to that other than just, wow. To, to that masked unknown listener, that dark figure in the alley. Uh, who wants to remain nameless? Yes, it was very, very kind. So thank you. And uh, but because of that, it does make spending thirty bucks on the deals on the season pass easier, a little bit more palatable. And I have to say, I too am tempted, Brent. And this is one of those things where uh, you, you know I think the best pre order bonus in the world is is a significant monetary discount. <laughs> um, well, so twenty five percent off uh, is not insignificant, and at thirty bucks, it's very tempting to me too. And so. We'll have to see. That That may just happen. All right, guys, we are back in the clubhouse. And before we get into our topic this week, as usual, we have the clubhouse poll. Uh, Brent, why don't you lay it out for us? All right. So last week we were talking about uh, paid mods on, on Steam for Skyrim. Uh, obviously, uh, kind of a... Kind of a big deal within the, within the PC gaming community, certainly within the Skyrim modding community. Uh, if you if you follow the forum over at Nexus Mods, <laughs> there are people who have still not recovered from the calamity that was paid mods on Steam. But anyway, we yeah. asked you guys what was your take on Valve's foray into paid mods, and the results shook out like this. In last place was seven percent. You said. I'm disappointed it didn't take off. I was curious to see where it might have gone. That was where my vote landed. 45% of you said poorly executed, but I'm in favor of the concept. But the number one answer narrowly beating that out with 48% was mods are supposed to be free. What else is there to understand? So, uh, well, you entitled bastards. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I think uh you know it was it was really interesting to uh to see people talk about this and to think about you know some of the more practical problems with uh you know paying for mods and and you know things that that might lead to you know we talked about things like you know what if the you know what if an official game patch breaks your mods like just happened with uh, Grand Theft Auto 5 on PC uh you know there there were a lot of really good points made uh you know, things that, that Lauren and I didn't necessarily think to include in the discussion. So thank you, everybody, for uh, bringing those to the table and uh, just helping all of us think about the subject in a uh, in a wider fashion. Indeed. All right, Brent, let's jump into the topic this week, uh, which is an interesting one. Um, yeah. I say surprisingly. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, the topic this, this week, whole the title show has of been the, very interesting, don't you think? The, 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 uh, the topic of, of the clubhouse, uh, the topic of the week in the clubhouse is uh, our video game auteur is a good thing. Mm. And uh, this comes from an article on PC Gamer in which two of their writers, Andy Kelly and Sam Roberts, debate the idea, the question of whether or not auteurs are a good thing right. uh, in the video game industry. And I have to say. Uh, before we go down this path, Brent, we should probably define the word. I was going to say the exact same thing. Auteur is a French word. It's actually the French word for author, and it was developed specifically in relation to the film industry, to, to French New Wave film in the, I guess, the the 60s, well, late 50s and, no, 50s, and, yeah, and, and no. early 60s. But, uh, you know, it, it's a term that, you know, that I learned back in college studying film and uh, and have always associated with, you know, directors of that medium who have strong, strong vision that... Comes that shines through in their films. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, Ridley Scott, uh, are, are names that uh, that come to mind. But anyway, so the the practical definition uh, for what we are uh, discussing today is an auteur as being a uh, the creative head of of a video game. The creative director is is usually where that title ends up. But uh, an individual who has such a strong artistic vision that their authorship or the perception of their authorship supersedes the publisher's uh, constraints on the project or the collaborative c- contributions on the project that, you know, you get to the end of that game and you say that is an Hideo Kojima game. Anybody else who was contributing to that game was simply there to execute Hideo Kojima's vision of, you know, what this, uh, this Metal Gear game was as, as right, that's how I felt when I saw Kirby's Epic Yarn, for example. Yeah, exactly. I thought that's that is a Kojima game. That's that's exactly right. So anyway, but I I think that the you know the the underlying sort of uh, the underlying sort of I suppose counter argument is that 
video games are a very collaborative medium that there are typically on AAA games, there are hundreds and hundreds of people working on a game and to, and to bestow authorship on a single person uh, doesn't reflect the fact that so many people have contributed to the final product. And, uh, and so perhaps it's not fair or it's just not accurate to, to lay a game at the feet of, Ken Levine or an, or an Adeo Kojima. And of course, you know, there's, there's room for both of those things to be true. I suppose there's room for a Ken Levine to be an auteur and there's room for another game like a, uh, like an uncharted three to, you know, maybe be more the result of a collaborative vision as opposed to the single focus of, of one individual. What do you think? Certainly. I mean, I, and so the question is, is, is it a good thing? Right. Right. The question at hand is, is it a good thing? And I'll tell you uh, that the answer is yes. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> the answer. So uh, I do think it's a good thing this week. We're going to talk about I do. I do think it's a good thing, Brent, because okay. uh, I think that that type of uh, a, that type of creative vision is is instrumental in driving some of the best pieces of work uh, that we have had. And, and, and a great example is uh, Ridley Scott. He talks about Blade Runner a lot in the article yeah. uh, and how that was driven like just overwhelmingly by this vision of his, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly there's many, many other examples of this. Star Wars is one of them. Probably Indiana Jones series is probably one of them. Yeah. Um, you, you alluded to uh, Stanley Kubrick. Uh, certainly, um, you know, the, that, that guy caught castle long shadow, believe it. Uh, in, indeed he does. And there's, there's uh, you know, Martin Scorsese is another one sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Most of the time uh, for better. Most of the time, but not always. He's getting, he's getting long in the tooth, that guy. But um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just poking the bear here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Take I that, do, Mr. Grizzly bear. I do. I do think that um, uh, it's a good thing. I think that, you know, we've talked about Hideo Kojima. We talked about sure. Ken Levine, certainly David Cage, uh, is another one who yeah, I think, yeah, very true. Um, who, who I think brings. You want to talk uh, about a for better or worse uh, case study? It'd be Mr. Cage. Uh, well, I mean, I so I happen to think it's for better, but yes, I, I think wh- whether or not you like his games, I think he brings a lot to the development of interactive entertainment in general. And his uh, games and, are definitely of a singular vision. I mean, his games you, you can pick it up and be a David Cage game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no, there's no question about that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think that, um, I think it is a good thing, Brent. I mean, I don't think anybody here would disagree that the over corporatization or marketing driven game making or, or that sort of thing, uh, is in any way good for the industry. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, he, the, uh, authors of this article allude or refer to, um, Assassin's Creed Unity and how much that feels like a product. Yeah. Um, and I would agree. Assassin's Creed has felt like a product for a long time. And it's, I, think, I think it's to the detriment of the series, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, interestingly, Uncharted is a game that, uh, while you may not attribute it to one person's singular vision, I almost feel like Naughty Dog is its own sort of... It's its own singular auteur. auteur. Like there's a there's a group of people at the head of Naughty Dog. There, there's a flavor. There's a flavor to those games, certainly. That you know are the result of uh, you know of people like Amy Hennig and and other uh, other uh, creative types who have uh, who have contributed to to what those games have become. Absolutely. But so I don't. I don't. I I think. I think. It, I do think it's a good thing. I mean, I, I don't. I, I don't see the negative in it. Uh, in, I, I, now, I, I think there's an argument to be made of whether or not it will exist in a significant capacity and what kind of environment uh, has to exist for someone like that to sort of rise to, the, to, the, to that level. Yeah. Um, but certainly, um, I, you know, I, certainly I think it's, uh, it, it's a good thing. And, and I, I, don't think, I, I don't see a scenario in which it hurts the industry. It may hurt the, the person financially. Right. I mean, but I, I don't see... Uh, uh, a way in which having people having auteurs around hurts the industry, and I don't think we're in any danger of it ever becoming an industry that is only that you have to be an auteur in order to get anything created. I agree, and I think that th- there's a couple of interesting things about this that are specific to the video game industry. Uh, as for whether it's good or bad, I, I I don't really have like a value judgment on it. I mean, to me, it's like asking if a thunderstorm is good or bad. It's it just is. It, it's a 
it's a it's a force of nature, a phenomena of nature, and I think auteurism is sort of a phenomena of human nature. Uh, the the fact that there are there are some artists who whose vision is is unique, and you know, I mean, you could watch a film for an example, and you could say, okay, is this a Simon West movie? Is it a Wolfgang Peterson film? Uh, yeah, you know, th- there's there's like enough overlap that it doesn't immediately become apparent that you're watching. Uh, you know, a film by, say, like a Guy Ritchie, who who I, I think his, his movies do tend to have a little bit more of a signature style. Uh, or, or Michael Bay, for that example. I, I I think that, you know, although I'm not a fan, I, I can acknowledge that, you know, that Michael Bay as a filmmaker, his movies feel like Michael Bay films. So it's just one of those things that I I think that, you know, some artists are are going to have that quality, that that sort of uniqueness of vision and others are not, and so it's it's not really good or bad. It it simply is uh, a byproduct of you know of certain uh, certain creative people and processes. As for the 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 notion that as as for the notion that uh, autourism might be a bad thing from the standpoint of oh it doesn't give enough credit to the people involved and and all that kind of thing. I guess that I don't feel I guess I don't feel that strongly about it. Because while video games and films are both collaborative processes, that doesn't mean that they're partnerships. There is usually, not always, but there is usually one person at the top of the chain through which uh, decisions are filtered and who has the ultimate veto power on, you know, whether or not this feature stays or goes or this, uh, this color changes from, from red to, to yellow and so I think that I don't think that there's any disrespect in acknowledging the fact that yes, hundreds and hundreds of people work on a video game, but they typically do so at the behest of a creative director, uh, of someone who has a vision to accomplish the game, and their job is to execute uh, that uh, that person's vision. And I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I simply think that that is uh, that's just typically the most effective way to manage a large scale production. You can't have hundreds and hundreds of people all working autonomously, uh, making, uh, making decisions and, uh, and expect to, uh, to get, to get something, uh, as cohesive as if you have one individual steering the ship. Right. I think it's not only the best, most effective way to manage it, but it's also the most effective way to get compelling content. In my opinion, uh, uh, and it's or, or one of the most effective ways yeah. to get well, the most compelling content. There, there's, I, you a, know. there's a threshold to that, though. Just to, certainly, just, just the caveat, real fast. I think, I think that below a certain scale, I think that you can totally do that. I mean, you know, like if you're like a small development team, you've got maybe say five to ten people who all work in the same room. I think that you actually probably can afford to be pretty pretty collaborative and still be cohesive. But as it scales up, that I think that that uh, that ability to be effective reduces well and it's i mean i think i think uh uncharted is a great example of you know even even in a larger thing at a larger scale i think you can have a few key people that ultimately have uh creative control but that doesn't also mean there's no collaboration from any of the other people either that doesn't mean it's a choice of where and i and i certainly i didn't mean to say it is the most effective right i think it's more appropriate to say it is one of the most effective uh because if 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 the uh, if the pool of control gets too uh, too diverse, uh, you start getting too many cooks in the kitchen, kind of thing, and yeah, you, you do. Know. And and so you know, a couple others I would mention: Brent, Tim Schaefer is certainly one um, that I think has a singular voice. Uh, Genova Chen, who I think made yeah. the greatest game ever made, uh, uh, has a, a very sort of specific voice that comes through in his games. Jonathan Blow, um, you know, uh, Fumito Ueda with. Uh, Eco Shadow of the Colossus and uh, the upcoming Last Guardian. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> uh, it had to be said. Um, there's there are several uh, there are several uh, of these types of people throughout video games, and I think, like I said, I think they're I think they're a very good thing. It's not the only way to do things, no. um, but but they've created. I mean, you, as I the reason I mentioned these other names is to get you to think about some of the games that these people have created. Uh, but and, now, and they've interestingly yes. i mean some of those games that you mentioned are relatively small in scale that you, you know are not 
you know, a triple A, I'm trying to, th- you know, like a last of us or a red dead redemption or something like that, you know, right. like, like, like journey, for example, yeah, or yeah. journey's a very, very small game by comparison. Jonathan blow, you know, braid. Uh, um, so that, that's the kind of the interesting thing about it is that I think that it's actually much easier for people working at the scale of a game like journey or braid to be an on tour. It's much, much easier for a single person to, to write and develop a game like that or to, uh, to, to sort of have that that sense of authorship over a small game, I think it becomes increasingly more difficult as the game becomes larger, as more and more people and more and more money uh, are are in the pot, uh, are part of the equation. It's much, much more difficult for, I think, a, a unique sort of voice to shine through that because there is so much pressure to... To be financially uh, successful. Yeah, to, exactly. To appeal to a mainstream audience and be financially successful. So in a sense, I think it's probably more noteworthy for somebody to be an, an Adeo Kojima, uh, you know, working with those budgets, working with, with that, that large group of people on such uh, expansive uh, games. It's, it, I think it's much, much more difficult to do at that level. Certainly. And, and, you know, it, do, it does bear mentioning, however, that uh, as the guys alluded to at the end of their conversation, that anytime you as an American start using a French word to describe something like that, it sounds somewhat uh, <laughs> preternaturally sort of assholish. Right? So, I, I think pretentious is the word. Yes, that's exactly right. But um, I, but uh, uh, I, I do think it's I think I, I, I think it's good for the industry and I think it would be bad for the industry if these types of creative personalities weren't given uh, some freedom to, 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 to uh, muster these kind of resources yeah. to create games like Metal Gear Solid 4 and what I hope Metal Gear Solid 5 will be. I agree. Do you think that there is, I mean, do you think that, do you think that putting a single person, I mean, there is certainly, I'm trying to, I, I can't really think of a video game person off the top of my head, but I like going back to films as an example, noticeably absent above the the titles of the Lord of the Rings movies are a Peter Jackson film. And the fact is that, you know, he chose not to put his his authorship on those movies because they were such a collab. Uh, this is Ian McKellen on, in one of the commentary tracks explaining this. So it's secondhand. You know, maybe there's another reason. But uh but ostensibly he did not take a film by Peter Jackson above the title because he felt that it was such a collaborative thing and that he, 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 he did not feel comfortable assigning the authorship to himself. Right. Um, is, is, is there a point to be well, made Well, Kojima there? doesn't have that problem. No, no, he doesn't. But I, not I, I moving guess what forward. I'm is like, does that make Kojima an asshole for doing that? You know, is Michael Mann an asshole for putting a Michael Mann film above the title to heat or collateral or, or Miami I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I, you know what, honestly, I think that's a, that, that decision is one that's made by the people that work with and around him. Right. I mean, I, that's a question you'd have to ask somebody that works for Kojima son. And if they said, uh, if they, if you asked them, uh, if, uh, if they thought he was an asshole for doing that and they all said, absolutely not. The guy's a genius. And it is his singular vision that has driven this project. Uh, then you have your answer. And if they all say, yes, we did most of the design on this game and he's full of it, right. then you have your answer. It's, you can't, I don't think you can know that unless you're, unless you're part of the behind-the-scenes family. All right, so let's talk about one other aspect of this, and that is the commercial aspect of this. One of the reasons uh, that studios like to have the film by tag above a title is because of the perception that it will improve the 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 uh the film's performance in the marketplace that uh that you know the Kevin Smith's audience is always going to come out for a Kevin Smith film. Michael Mann's audience is always going to come out and see his movies. Michael Bay has an audience of people that really like Michael Bay films and whenever he directs something or even produces something they're going to go see it to have that Michael Bay film experience. Do you think that there's a commercial advantage to that kind of of recognition with video games. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it seems like people aren't, we've sort of trended away from that in general in film. I don't, I don't feel, and I, I don't feel like I see that very often anymore. Uh, and I don't know if that's because we are such a plugged in society that that information gets out, uh, in multiple other ways. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, it has value to me if it's a Hideo Kojima game or if it has a, a um, um, you know, if it's a if it's a uh, David Cage game or or if it's the Hauser Brothers from Rockstar, like, yeah, to me that has meaning commercially. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. We haven't we haven't built that culture too much in video games, but again, I wouldn't be opposed to building that culture because I think building that culture might drive. Um, uh, more people at that level to have to have access to to those kind of resources with more creative control. I don't know. Right. Do you think that uh, Do you think that being an auteur is something that that creators within the video game industry ought to aspire to? Should they aspire to 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 you know being unique uh, and, and standing out? Uh, above all else i mean you know there are certainly people although maybe assassin's creed unity is not the best example but i mean certainly there are a lot of people that like the assassin's creed franchise and you know perhaps might not want somebody with too strong a voice to come into it and to mess up the formula like as an example if uh if if the name of if you and i formed a development studio and the name of our development studio was princess leia's brass bikini and we were going to work on an Assassin's Creed game. It would get around very quickly that we were going to eliminate all the features uh, or, or all of the future stuff involving uh, Desmond, and it was only going to take place in the past, and, and there wasn't going to be any of this hopping back and forth thing. And uh, and people people might not like us bringing our unique vision to uh, to their game. Do you think that there's a downside on that level? I don't know, Brent, actually, and that really does make me, uh, and this isn't just a segue to get out of this segment, I swear to God. (laughs) It really does. I'm really curious to hear what the audience has to say on this, because I think, um, I don't know, it's an interesting question about whether or not, for example, you would want, say, what if Kojima was offered the next Assassin's Creed game? Right. Would you want that? Uh, Or would you want yeah, and and, uh, I I don't know the answer to that question. And, And, you know, should people aspire to be auteurs? That's a difficult thing to say. That's a conversation that you know applies to all artistic endeavors. Is aspiring to be different for the sake of different uh, have value? Does it have creative value? Yeah. Does it have market value? Um, and, and those are those are some pretty deep questions. And, and I don't know. I mean, I think and there's probably, I think, there's really probably no right or wrong answer. That I mean, that question has got to be answered by every individual because right. they have to decide for themselves what is most. I mean, sometimes I find I find pieces that are different for the sake of being different. Sometimes what I call artistic masturbation. Yeah. Um, uh, very off putting to me and 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 unnecessary in the grander scheme of things. But then again. But sort of bucking up against the normal trend and just trying, trying consciously to break out of, of uh, the, what's currently accepted, uh, not infrequently leads to leads down new and interesting avenues. And so yeah. I think it's a I, I think that's a difficult thing to say. Um, I, I do think that people experimenting and developing a voice uh, is never a bad thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I, you know, the, the, those are, those are kind of bigger and, and, and deep, deeper and more in, and interesting questions, but I'm curious to hear, uh, what our listeners think about, uh, about, about that, about the idea, as you said, about the idea of, would you want, um, would you want a, a singular voice, a specific voice to come in to some of your games? Or do you appreciate these, these kind of people out there? Or does it even matter to you? Do you not care yeah. if, if the Kojimas and the Tim Schafer's and the Ken Levine's and the, um, uh, you know, uh, Genova Chen's and those those people who have really distinct voices uh, disappeared. Would you care? Are you are are you? Uh, do you play games for that reason? You know, right. and and I think it's uh, I think it's a good question. I I agree. I would also like to hear from uh, from our listeners who are developers themselves who have worked on games. Uh, I would be very interested to hear what what their thoughts are on it. Uh, you know, whether or not they feel. That it's a slight against their efforts if uh, if if one person is is kind of assigned uh, the uh, the credit uh, on a game in that way if if it's something that bothers them or or if they feel that that it is deserved uh, based on their own experiences so I'm I, I'm very very anxious to get feedback from our audience on this subject as well as the other interesting things we've talked about in this episode. Have I said the word interesting a lot? Maybe maybe you have. <laughs> Okay, everybody, let's hit the road and uh, talk about some of the games that we've been playing this week. Lauren, back to your old stomping grounds, I see. 
Yeah, well, so I told you, Brent, earlier in the show that I did something this week that I can't believe I've never done before, and that is I hooked up my PC directly to my television. Yep. My controller stretches over to the couch, uh, and I'm able to play my, my PC games on my 50-inch TV just like I was playing a console. And I got to tell you, I felt bad. like a little kid in a candy store. Um, ain't bad at all. Not bad at all. And so I went back to the golf club, which is my old stomping grounds, and Damn it, does this game look good on PC? And there's been some updates. Uh, there's been a DLC pack that came out that includes a season mode, a new tropical theme. It's going to get a second theme. They've added out of bounds to the game and drop balls and all these things that have to do with golf that you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, Brent. And uh, uh, I, I know what you're saying, buddy. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> you have no idea. Have you ever have you picked up a golf club? Uh, yeah, I, I've... Uh I went to a driving range. I, went I to a, attacked somebody once. I went to a driving range with a friend of mine uh, one time, and, uh, and that's the only time I've held an honest-to-goodness golf club in my life. Every, all of my other experiences have been at putt-putt courses. Yes, and where, where there's not really unplayable lies and uh, handicaps. But no, uh, the game is it's just so good, man. And, and so I've really been enjoying going back, seeing what the creators are doing with the new theme. And so that was a tremendous amount of fun. I pretty much went through and clicked on almost every game I have installed on Steam mm. to see if it worked uh, with a controller because the Steam big, big Picture interface is not, does not accurately represent games that work with controllers, and it's super frustrating and annoying. So anyway, I clicked on all the games. I played a little bit of Hot Pursuit. I played a bunch of stuff. And I opened up uh, Alien Isolation thinking, okay, maybe... Maybe this is what I need to get back into Alien Isolation. I don't know if you can see it, but my, my one eyebrow is up, as if to say fascinating. As if to say, uh, I played it for about 30 minutes, and I wanted to throw my controller at the television. <laughs> and, and mostly, Brent, uh, because what pissed me off more than anything, I, I have no forgiveness for a game that puts a checkpoint in the dumbest possible effing place. Right. And I was in this place I, where I have to, I, I don't even remember what, what I'm doing, but I'm on the ship or whatever. And uh, uh, I have to go to this console that has three different uh, televisions on it, okay. or three different monitors on it. And you have to do something at each of the monitors, a little like mini game, okay. right? And so each one is separate. So you go up to one and it's, they're stupid mini games. Like, like down at the bottom of the screen, it says 22 and 13. And at the top, it says 26 and 17. And you have to move it to the right until both numbers change properly. Okay. That's literally the minigame. It's, it's like ludicrous. Uh, and the other minigame was, here's all these scrolling numbers. Click the cursor when the white one passes by. Um, so it's a slot machine. It's awful. Uh, it's, it, it's awful. These, but, but, the, the, but the checkpoint, of course, Brent, is immediately before you have to do this. And then there's a cinematic. <laughs> and, and if and, something messes up, you've got to go back and do all the minigames again. Entirely. Oh, that's every time you die, uh, you have to do the mini game. You have to, and so I agree. I wasn't, that's, that's pretty. That's pretty foul. I wasn't pissed off Bow. so much as the fact that I kept getting killed and how was I supposed to sneak around them and like I recognized that I was relearning the game and you know there's there's no there, these androids in the game there's like no um, there's no room for for getting caught by them. It's a really pretty hardcore stealth game. Yeah. But but the fact that every time I did it, like they didn't make the checkpoint after those things in the cinematic. Instead of, I mean, literally immediately before those things in the cinematic. It's not like they made it like five, three minutes before. And so you just kind of played back that story. It was just, I just, I have zero patience for that. And when you a know. game, when something like that happens in a game, it just, it symbolizes to me like, this is just poor game design. I, I agree. Uh, to me, that, 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 that seems like a pretty big oversight. That, that seems that something, something like that shouldn't be happening. In the in twenty first century game design, it, no, I mean it, checkpoint checkpoint placement should be game design one hundred and one. Yeah, and, and if you screw that up, um, I just uh, I, it makes me not want to play the rest of the game because I I may get past it after forty five minutes, but then what's going to happen in the next room and the next room and yeah. the next you know what I mean? Like it, it does it sets up this expectation of I'm just going to be frustrated by this, right? So I honestly don't know that I will ever play it again. I tried and I, I tried. I gave it a good thirty plus minutes. Mm. Uh, and and at no point was I having fun. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's ultimately what it's all about. Uh, interesting that you talk about Alien Isolation because that's probably going to be the game that I that I start uh, I start picking up next because I have finished the main quest of Skyrim. I have finished the main storyline to The Elder Scrolls Five. I didn't even know that was possible. Um, I didn't think there was a way to do that. 
Well, I mean, you know, in the sense that minor spoilers, in the sense that the the main story is about Alduin and uh, and his reign of terror and him, you know, coming back to uh, to eat the entire world. Um, that threat has been abated, is what I am saying. But that doesn't mean that's not to say that there's not tons of other stuff uh, going on. That ultimately, that is just you know sort of one story thread. In, in a lot of stuff that's going on, you've still got the war between the Nords and the Empire, the, you know, the, the Revolution. You've got uh, innumerable, you know, small little side quests and things like that uh, happening. And somebody, somebody, I think in the comments, or I can't remember if it was in the comments on our site or maybe on Twitter, but somebody had just said something to me about, uh, you know, hope that you don't, hope you don't quit playing Skyrim after you finish the main story because i found i saw that the side quest stuff to be really maybe even the most interesting and i just want to say that i'm not going to stop playing skyrim i haven't i mean i i finished the i finished you know i defeated alduin come on i'm just gonna say it i defeated alduin uh sometime mid to midweek last week and i've been doing nothing but going back and doing side quests and stuff like that and, and i mean they're right it is fascinating i just just this morning, I was playing, and this really interesting thing happened. I, I mean, you, you'll be playing the game, and you'll be riding along, and you'll occasionally get attacked, waylaid. Usually, though, it's bandits, or occasionally it's a Dark Brotherhood assassin who has been dispatched by somebody because you stole a roll of parchment off their desk, or you know something like Bastard. that. Bastard. But this one was really interesting. It was a, it was a cultist, and I can't remember. It was you know this. It wasn't the name, but it was like you know like a Bothan cultist or something right. like that. And uh, so this guy, this guy came at me and my party, and uh, we took him down. And so I'm searching his body, and he's got this uh, this book on him. And this book is is this uh, this journal detailing a uh, detailing like a, a ceremony, like a secret society getting together to worship uh, some sort of god, you know. And the god's name is Bothan, or whatever this B word is that I can't I can't exactly recall right now. But anyway, it details this fascinating, this fascinating ceremony in which a bunch of followers get together and invoke this god who shows up. Uh, it's actually a she. It's a it's a goddess, I suppose. And uh, she she actually appears and basically, uh, you know, says, uh, you know, you know, why have you, uh, you know, why have you invoked me? And they're like, oh, you know, we worship and adore you. And she says, well, justify your existence to me. And the first guy's like. Uh, well, I worship and adore you, dead. And the next guy doesn't really have anything to say. He can't come up with anything, dead. And so one by one, she works her way through dozens of these people who have assembled until she gets down to the last two. And she gets to the next to last person and says, okay, next to last guy, justify your existence. And he immediately draws his sword and kills the guy beside him and says, uh, you know something about uh i you know i justified my existence by uh you know by by taking this guy's life to save my own by leaving my mark on the world through the blood that i shed and i offer you this sword and and you know she she says indeed and she lets this guy live and it says something about you know like if this story gets your blood boiling then you know you come to this location and uh and be part of this thing or whatever. And I'm just like, this is fucking fascinating. I mean, just like, like a really, really kind of cool backstory. So I'm, I'm, uh, that's going to be kind of the next thing I get into. I don't know if that's part of the vanilla game or if it's part of the, some of the DLC because the, uh, when the whole, no, I think that's part of the vanilla game. When the whole paid mods thing happened, the DLC for the game went on sale and I picked up everything. I got Dragonborn, Dawn Guard, and, uh, and Hearthfire because they were like 50. I think Hearthfire was 50% off and I think the other two were like 63% off. But anyway, it was a pretty good deal. So I've got all the DLC for the game now too. And obviously, uh, you know, I'm starting to see those, uh, both of the, both of the kind of the storylines from those two story DLCs, Dawn Guard and Dragonborn coming into, uh, coming into play in the world. But anyway, I'm not going to be quitting Skyrim anytime soon. It's just that I felt like I needed to finish that main story to allow myself, uh, to, I guess, give myself permission to go ahead and move on to another game because I, I can't, I can't just play Skyrim. That can't be the only thing I play all year long. I got to move on to other things and play other, Could be. other it's things. It's that good well. of a game, but 
the thing is, but I'm always going to like Skyrim is going to be that game that I always come back to, you know, a couple of times a week or something and, and take some nibbles at. But I didn't want to I guess I didn't want to leave it in in a unfinished state. Somehow, in my mind, it makes sense to um, to finish the main story and then just, you know, kind of meander my way through the the rest of the stuff rather than to just I don't know, rather than to just sort of like be playing it with no with no feeling like uh, I was ever going to reach the end, uh, you know, in any in any reasonable t- uh, time frame. Dude, I spent, I don't know how many hours I spent, t- 12 hours, 10 hours, yeah. going down the Magic College side quest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah up in Winterhold. Uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. There's just so much to do there. I know, man. I mean, I, I it, it really is, it, it really is pretty remarkable. I, and I, I know that there's like a, um, I, I get the impression that, you know, the, there are certain side quests and things like that that are not scripted, that are just, you know, you can go to, you know, you can go to certain individuals in the game at any time and they'll say, oh, I, you know, I need a bear cleared out of this cave or, oh, you know, there's like a group of bandits up at this location and I need you to take them out. You know, those kinds of quests will just repeat ad infinitum. But the amount of thought that's been put into some of the details in this game, I mean, if you just like sit down and read through some of the books that you pick up in the game, you get a real sense of how much... How much creative focus has been brought to to that world, and it, it's it's remarkable. And the fact that the community has contributed, you know, their own full storied releases with with uh, with all of the detail that they have is also pretty uh, pretty remarkable. So it'll be interesting to hear you compare and contrast The Witcher, uh, which is uh, very true. I feel like it's going to have a lot of similarities after so closely on the heels after having played Skyrim. I mean, I get the impression there will be, you know, there, there will be side quests in the Witcher that are 10 hours long or, you know, that kind of thing. And so it'll be interesting to hear the two compared and contrasted. Um, All right, Brett. Now I'll have a good, uh, I'll have a good basis on which to do that. That's true. Now, before we wrap up the show, Brent, Uh, I think (laughs) that's true. Before you asked today, before we wrap up the show, uh, we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna bring back a, a little something that I miss having in my life, which is a battle cry section. I don't know what we're gonna call this thing in the long term, uh, but the point is that here before we close out the show, I just want to say some shit about something that maybe nobody else cares about, but that I am exceptionally excited about. Uh, and and we'll try to come up with a clever name. As a matter of fact, if anybody or maybe got, you can, <laughs> right? If anybody's got a suggestion for a clever name, I'd be happy to hear it because I got nothing at this point. Um. And part of the reason I feel so uninspired is because all of my imagination is captured at the moment by a game being developed called Star Force. Star Force is a unofficial sequel, a fan-made sequel to the X-Wing slash TIE Fighter series. It's being uh, developed by a, gay, a guy named Vladimir Milosevic. Uh, he is a Serbian 2D, 3D artist, and he's developing this game in the Unreal Engine 4. Uh, he's, got a, he's got a very brief amount of you know, sort of pre-alpha gameplay just kind of showing off uh, what he's been able to do so far. It's not much more than there's some ship models in space, there's a cockpit, there's pew, 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 and, uh, and some explosion effects. But it's really just sort of a proof of concept. It's like, hey, you know, this is kind of what I'm trying to do. But the underlying thing that he's doing, which is trying to bring a sequel to one of my favorite video game franchises ever, one of the formative uh, franchises that I played on PC back in the day, I I could not be happier about that. I I will go back occasionally and play X-Wing Alliance. As a matter of fact, now that the, uh, the LucasArts... X-Wing games are out on uh, out on PC. You can get them on Steam. You can get them on GOG. They were on sale, I think, over the weekend, actually. But uh, I, I love to go back and play those games, and there are mods for those. There, you know, there are people that have gone back and done high-res textures and things like that for, uh, for X-Wing Alliance. But, uh, but having, having a game set uh, you know, in a modern video game engine and, and all of the things that can, uh, that can be taken advantage of there, that would be remarkable. And, and this is one of those things that I imagine if, if this got off the ground, if he's actually able to kind of put together uh, a basic game and a framework, I think about how the mod community 
could get in on this uh, through the creation of content of of uh, of you know new new ships of of story missions and things like that. I think about all the things that could uh, that could be brought to uh, to bear on this. I get really excited. Hopefully, he has the time and dedication to see this three see this thing through. And uh, we'll get to see the fruits of his labor. So anyway, Star Force, there's an article on PC Gamer I'm linking to. Go check it out. Lauren. That sounds incredible, man. You know what it makes me think of is, have you seen the news about the new arcade game uh, for Star Wars called Star Wars Battle Pod? Is that the, is that the one that's got like the, uh, the hemispherical uh, screen that yes. you, know, you kind of have like uh, almost 360 uh, degrees? Of- yes, and you're flying like a snowspeeder oh, at one yeah. point. And- yeah, I've, se- I've seen video of it. It looks amazing. Have you haven't played it though? No, no, I haven't. I, I don't know anywhere around me that has has one. Yeah, that made, that made me think of it while you were talking about it. All right, Brent, it's time for my uh, <laughs> whatever time for we're going to call it. Battle Cry esque thing. Shout out Battle Cry esque thing. And my Battle Cry, for lack of a better term, this week uh, is going to be uh, a shout out to Wolfenstein: The Old Blood. This is a uh, piece of DLC coming uh, story D- DLC uh, coming for. Uh, the game Wolfenstein The New Order, which, if you didn't play it, was one of my favorite games of last year. It was a fantastic, uh, amazing first-person shooter. A harken back to the old, the first-person shooters of old and done in, like, the, with a perfect balance of um, nod to its classical roots and updating uh, to make the features uh, better, even better for today. It played just beautifully. It's really one of the best first-person shooters, um, single-player first-person shooters I've played in years. And now they're coming out with a piece of DLC called The Old Blood. It comes out this week, Tuesday, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, Tuesday, um, May 5th. So uh, it is out by the time you have listened to this. And uh, I just wanted to shout out, it's 1999. Uh, I will be checking it out at some point, And I encourage you to do so if you haven't done so already. Is it a, is it a standalone DLC or do you have to own the new order to, uh, to play it? Uh, no, it's a it's standalone, Brent. You do not have to you do not have to own Wolfenstein the New Order to play it. It is standalone content. Now I, think, I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, I don't know how long it is. It spans eight chapters, which I believe is about half as long as the original game was. But I don't know. I don't know what the playtime is. Right. I think that's actually a really good idea. I think that's actually a really good idea because you know, I. You know, like I never got Far Cry Three, and so had Blood Dragon been. Dependent on having Far Cry 3, if it, if, if it had been true add-on content that you had to own Far Cry 3 for, I would never have bought it. But I did buy Blood Dragon, and I loved it, and it's actually gotten me more interested in playing Far Cry. And I don't own Wolfenstein The New Order, but I loved the trailer for The Old Blood, and I could very easily see myself maybe picking up The Old Blood and playing it, and maybe that's what convinces me to go and play Wolfenstein The New Order. It, it, it almost becomes... You know, on the as opposed to like a demo or a beta on the front end, it almost becomes sort of a uh, you know a, a taste test to get you through the door on the back end of the game's release, and and maybe bring in more people that way. I I think that's that's a very smart idea to do these things standalone. I agree. All right, Brent. With that, we're going to call it a show this week. Yep. As always, we want to hear what you guys think about everything we talked about, whether it's Wolfenstein, the Old Blood, Star Force, Skyrim, Alien Isolation, the Golf Club. Of course, what we talked about while we were in the clubhouse, whether or not video game auteurs are a good thing for our industry. And then what we talked about while we were doing some work in the garage, Batman Arkham Knight Season Pass, uh, PC Gaming getting its own press conference at E3, the launch of Project Cars this week in just a few days, and the gameplay reveal trailer for Just Cause 3. We want to hear what you guys think of those and all topics related to gaming. Your insight is why we're here, and the conversation is what keeps us coming back. As usual, he is Brent Adams. I am Lauren Baumgarten. And remember... You don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop playing.